0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Catching Foxes, a special, sad, depressing Catching Foxes, where we get to interview uh, the editor of the Catholic News Agency, J.D. Flynn. J.D. Flynn's been on the show before, although we kind of had to strike any mention of his name. Strip it a a little bit. Um, But uh, he has written a series of articles, and the Catholic News Agency has done excellent coverage Of all the recent clergy sex abuse scandals that are going on right now, much to our own heartbreak and disgust. And so um, Luke was able to get JD on uh, kind of at the last minute. So I actually have all my computer and sound recording stuff at the church office. I literally stole a microphone cable from my choir (laughs) in order to have this conversation corruption in the church corruption in the church. <laughs> it keeps unfolding <laughs> yeah
1: oh man you know there's like tons of like choir people uh across across the country who just who just like heard that and got so angry <laughs> local podcaster
0: to... finally admits the truth he's been the one stealing the cables <laughs> he took
2: your microphone cable from the choir loft and he's not going to put it back
0: <laughs> well i'll put it back but not properly yeah fair enough fair, <laughs> enough, fair enough fair enough
1: um so just for like just for anyone who does not know what is going on cuz their head's been under a like rock or they just, you know, have like, a life um
0: playing Fortnite.
1: Yeah. Uh JD, could you just like really quickly explain what's happened?
2: Sure. So on June 20th, which was a little more than a month ago, um, it was announced by um, three dioceses, by the archdiocese, uh, excuse me, four dioceses kind of at the same time, the Archdiocese of New York, the Archdiocese of Newark, New Jersey, the Diocese of Metuchen, New Jersey, and the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., Announced simultaneously that there had been um, an, an investigation in the Archdiocese of New York into an allegation that Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, who is the retired Archbishop of of Washington, um, and had also been Bishop in Metuchen in New York, um, and was first a priest and auxiliary bishop in the Archdiocese of New York, that he had there had been an investigation into an allegation that he had um, sexually assaulted um, a, a teenager in. Um, uh, in the 70s um, serially, so more than once, uh, that there had been this investigation and the investigation had found the the report um, uh, of this allegation to be credible and substantiated and that as a consequence of that Cardinal McCarrick had been asked to um, withdraw from any public ministry and that he, he would be doing so that he would no longer be engaged in any public ministry at all. So that was June 20th. Subsequent to that, um, some details about that allegation of sexual assault came out um, and, and we, we learned a little bit more about what was alleged and then some additional um, allegations of sexual assault and sexual abuse came out uh, about um, about McCarrick, so allegations that he had um, groomed and um, serially sexually abused children um, to to, teen, to um, teenage boys, um, and then um, allegations that he had sexually assaulted, coerced, and um, uh, and, and and abused uh, seminarians and, and young priests during his time as a bishop. All of those came out now. The only one that's been investigated by the church is the first allegation. The other ones have come out through the media. Um, But all of them are out there, as it were. And uh, a little less than a week ago, as all of this has been unfolding and more information has been coming up, um, the pope accepted McCarrick's resignation from the College of Cardinals. So if you're a cardinal, you can resign from being a cardinal, although it's extraordinarily rare to do so. And um, McCarrick offered his resignation on Friday night, and the pope accepted it on Saturday morning. So at the same time that all that's been happening, a lot of questions have been asked and raised about whether there were bishops in the Church in the United States who knew about Cardinal McCarrick's um, you know, sexual behavior and uh, either failed to intervene or intervened ineffectively. Um, people essentially have been asking how did he um, continue to have a Church career while um, while apparently engaging in um, sexual immorality, serial sexual immorality, um, and abusing his office, abusing his power to do so, and how did those bishops around him either not know um, or not um, find a way to intervene and respond in such a way that he'd be removed from ministry. So all those questions have been swirling around, and I think all of your listeners know all that already, but that's, um, that's kind of the state of affairs in the Church now um, over the past couple of weeks, and of course that's a really difficult position to be in, but here we are.
0: And what's particularly crazy about the McCarrick um, scandal is his role specifically in the drafting of the charter for the protection of children and what seems to be like him working to remove any of those penalties or problems uh, within the process for bishops who are accused. And you brought that up in your article, and I was just wondering, I, I don't know if any more has come out about that in particular. Yeah.
2: I've written a couple of sort of analyses of the situation, where we are, how we got here, where we're going. One of the points that I brought up was that in 2002, um, as, as probably a lot of your listeners know, there was a, a, a sort of spotlight scandal in the church in the United States, we called the Long Lent of 2002, when all of these cases of, uh, of abuse by, by priests started to come out, and it turned out that many of them were very old and that bishops hadn't removed priests from ministry. When all that came out, the bishops got together in Dallas in the spring of 2002 and drafted two documents. One was called the Charter for the Protection um, of, of Young People, and one was called the Essential Norms for Dioceses Dealing with Allegations of Sexual Abuse by Priests and Deacons. And um, the Charter was sort of a moral agreement between bishops about how they would behave in their diocese and what standard they would set. And the Essential Norms was law policy that would govern the Church in the United States with regard to allegations of sexual abuse. And one of the things that was interesting, and it still bears more investigation, was that um, the bishops decided at that time to establish norms um, or how dioceses should respond if a if a priest or deacon was accused of abuse, um, but not norms um, uh, about what should happen if a bishop was accused of abuse. And there are potentially a lot of reasons for that. I mean, it's possible that the bishops just really, so much was coming out about abuse by priests that they just were not thinking um, about bishops as a, as a body. They just weren't thinking that these things would come out about bishops or that bishops would be engaging in this behavior, um, or it's it's possible they didn't think that's, that the Vatican would kind of okay those rules. Um, it's It's Hard to say. I mean, it's it's it would be I think unfair to say that they were doing that, like because they didn't want to be policed. Um, I think it's more likely that it just wasn't in their consciousness. But for a lot of people, that's that's part of the scandal is, did Why, why did why hasn't the church realized um, that bishops might behave this way, or why doesn't the church have sufficient protocols to ensure that bishops aren't behaving this way, and and a, a clear mechanism of accountability for bishops? So, you know, sort of who's watching the watchman becomes the question.
0: Yeah, I mean, and aren't we facing aren't we facing really two realities? Right, the reality of the actual sexual abuse, assault, coercion, harassment of individual victims, and the cover up the um you know, the, the, the grave scandal was bishops who were not responsible, who did not perpetrate these attacks, moved these priests around, right? And got back
2: in two thousand two that was the scandal that came out, yeah. Yeah. And then and so yeah. you find
0: that one priest at one parish, well, he ends up hurting children or, you know, whatever, in multiple parishes over decades long, you know, with these horror stories that you hear. Um, but according to the Charter, that's not allowed to happen. You're not, or excuse me, you're not allowed to, um, what was the line that you used? It's a, they are morally obliged to, uh, they can't, uh, what do you call it, non-disclosure agreement or, or whatever. They can't right, have exactly. these are Yeah, they set up protocols
2: essentially to ensure, I mean, they, they set up any number of protocols to ensure that, um Priests and deacons in ministry, and eventually that was extended to, to lay people and volunteers as well. But that priests and deacons in ministry, especially, would be background checked, and yeah. that there would be um, you know, protocols for knowing kind of their history and their suitability for ministry and those kinds of things. So, ostensibly in 2002, the bishop set up norms that would prevent kind of a serial abuse of priest or a priest even accused serially of, of abusing from kind of going from place to place, as seems to happen before then. Um, Ostensibly, the the, the norms and the charter put a put a stop to to that and the way that that happened and the way that 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 was kind of not reported, covered up. You know, the way that the abuse was handled, perhaps internally, but not um, reported to civil authorities. But the the scandal now is the question of did bishops know that um, Cardinal McCarrick had you know. Um, Apparently, really engaged in serial sexual immorality with priests, deacons, seminarians, and and possibly minors, and um, and not intervene. And and did he kind of move up the ecclesiastical ladder, so to speak, even while there was some awareness, or while there were rumors, or while there were reports or allegations of some of these things? Um, why wasn't there someone who who stepped in or, or, or way for that to happen? It's a hard question and a serious one, and a, and a lot of people are a lot of people are angry, and it's easy to understand why.
0: Because previous dioceses had reached settlements and then Cardinal World and was not uh, apparently, he, you know, he denies that he was ever made known that these, that these things had happened. Like, how can that, how can that happen?
2: Yeah. So that's the so the situation is so cardinal um, then Cardinal McCarrick he's no longer a cardinal but then Cardinal McCarrick um, retired as Archbishop of Washington in 2006 and um, and now Cardinal World he was an Archbishop then now Cardinal World was appointed the Archbishop of Washington in 2005 there had been a settlement reached um, between um, the New Jersey dioceses and and um, priests who claimed that they had been serially sexually abused and assaulted by McCarrick. Um, so the year before McCarrick retired, and then in 2007 there was another settlement reached uh, about the same issue, and uh, and so on either side of his retirement and world's appointment. So um, the question is, well, did the archdiocese of Washington know this? Why why did Cardinal McCarrick continue to function as uh, you know as a priest, as a bishop, as a prominent person? Why did he continue to participate very actively and very prominently in the life of the church? Why did he live at a seminary subsequent to that? Why did he have seminarians and priests, uh, young priests, as a, as a secretary subsequent to that, if they knew about this and and what Cardinal Wuerl has said is that he was not informed of the settlements and um, uh, that that were made by those New Jersey dioceses. And if that's true, um, which is part of the thing that I think is being investigated now, but assuming that that's true, um, why didn't those dioceses inform the archdiocese of Washington about these settlements? What what was the breakdown in thinking there or in protocol that would allow you know dioceses to make settlements about these gravely serious claims uh, about a bishop without um, without that impacting His continued ministry in the church.
0: I mean, did no one along the line say, maybe it's not a good idea to have a guy who has had multiple settlements not become a cardinal?
2: Well, I think that's what we're looking into. Not not only us, but lots of outlets are looking yeah. into that. I mean, yeah, right. I mean, I think that's what we're trying to figure out: is who who might have said that, how might have been, how might it have gone? Um, were there bishops who who intervened? Certainly, there's a priest, a, a Dominican who lives in New York, who says right. that he has made complaints all along the way because he heard allegations about McCarrick's misbehavior when um, when McCarrick was in New Jersey, and he says he's made complaints to various officials in the church, and, and no one responded. But, you know, I think part of what we're trying to figure out is who had, who knew about specific allegations of Cardinal McCarrick, who knew also about, you know, the si- situations that we would describe as near occasions of sin or I think could also describe them as um, near occasions of abuse, right? I mean, so Cardinal McCarrick um, regularly, according to reports, took um, seminarians with him to a beach house in New Jersey where he would um, apparently, you know, assault them sexually or coerce them sexually. Well, who knew that a bishop was taking seminarians by himself to a beach house on a regular basis, and did that? Did that pass the smell test? And if it didn't, are there people who should have asked questions, or could have asked questions, or raised questions? Is there a mechanism to do that? Are there bishops who are accountable for that? And um, and so there are lots of bishops that are being um, that are being looked at, um, who are kind of in the in the web of connectivity to this, who questions are being raised about, and um, and and we're trying to figure it out. One of the things that I wrote about is just the um, the the culture among American bishops, especially, I can't speak for bishops in other parts of the world, but the culture among American bishops that um, places in such an emphasis on on collegiality and collaboration that it um, it disincentivizes bishops to uh, to criticize one another, to speak out against one another, to disagree with one another in a public way. You see that on doctrinal issues, you know, um, where bishops will have disagreements, but they won't really get kind of get into the meat of it with one another, their clerical culture just doesn't always um, encourage that and actively discourages that. And um, you see it with the way that bishops govern their dioceses, so they're sort of loath to criticize what another bishop does in another diocese. And does that clerical culture contribute to seeing things um, with a brother bishop or hearing rumors with a brother bishop that are disturbing and not acting? And if not, how do we we break that?
0: I mean, I I think of, and Luke, feel free to jump in and stuff, but I feel like if I'm a seminarian, so uh, th- this was my train of thought. If I'm a seminarian and the bishop or the rector or a priest affiliated with it comes into you know, uh, the showers, if they have like communal showers, because like, most seminaries are essentially a dorm, right? And so you kind of have that dorm experience. And they were to enter it and, and begin to sexually – make sexually suggestive comments or harass – I feel mentally like I would just sh- shut that down. And be on the verge of getting violent if someone were to make me feel like that. But then you hear men like uh, Terry Cruz, who is a you know former football player who is a yeah. monster of, of physical you know proportions, and he was sexually assaulted by a man in Hollywood as an adult. and so you know that there are intimidation and, and, and power that you just that, that create like a wall. For you and I think the Me Too movement, all that stuff, which we brought up a couple times, um, like the, it is pointing out, like, oh my gosh, this you know, look at what Harvey Weinstein did to so many people for so long, and it was public knowledge, and still he was able to rake in millions using a company with his own last name and all of his influence. Um, but like, I, I have a friend who I met in a very weird circumstance, um, but he essentially had he was a normal human being who joined a religious order. And basically had a mental breakdown when he encountered the sexual abuse of the the head of that religious order in the seminary or the head of the seminary or whatever. And I met him picking up the scraps of his mental and spiritual life after that fact, right? And so this guy, you know, scared to be in a Catholic church, and he's my age. I'm 36. He's probably 34, something like that. Scared to be in a Catholic church. Never speaks to clergy anymore. Can't go to confession because he's scared to be alone with a priest. And he was a normal adult male, and it's so it just destroyed him systematically. Like how? I mean, how? What first steps do we take that doesn't just sound like a bunch of bureaucratic processes?
2: Yeah, I I think um, I I think I hope that repentance is one Mm -hmm. of our first steps. First of all, I should say. I mean, I think I should say, in fairness, that everything that's been said about about McCarrick thus far as an allegation. He hasn't had; he's not going to have a criminal trial in the United States, at least under these circumstances. He hasn't had a canonical trial. So, I mean,
0: why won't he have a legal thing. trial? I think that's a question that people don't understand.
2: In the United States, he won't because all the crimes that he's com- con- accused of committing in the United States have this have. have uh, Passed the statute of limitations. Hmm. So, um, you know, you can only be charged right. with certain crimes for certain periods of time. And so, um, you know, he the, the crimes that he's accused of committing right up to now, uh, you know, have, all have statutes of limitations that have expired. And just as a plug for the statute of limitations, there are lots of good reasons why we have statutes of limitations right. that oftentimes in situations like this, our passions say, well, forget about that and try it. There are great reasons to have statutes of limitations. But go, coming off that tangent um, and going back to the tangent I was making before that, <laughs> um, I think, um, you know, he, he won't have a criminal trial, he, whether he has a church trial or not is, is not very clear. So, you know, we want to be careful just to, to recognize that he hasn't been you know convicted of anything in any context, mm-hmm. but... I think we can say we see some systemic and cultural things here where, we, where where, there were people who could have acted and didn't, and people who could have intervened, and, and, and there are some obvious, there are things that obviously have the appearance of grooming behavior here and psychologically unhealthy behavior, and there are ways the church could have intervened. There were people who were notified about this and, um, and could have intervened. So um, I think, first of all, there needs to be real repentance for that, right? Um, mm-hmm. Systems of sin, I think, are probably eradicated in the same way that personal sin is eradicated, and that begins with repentance and penance. <laughs> yeah, fire, right? Exactly. So, um, yeah. So we need. We're going through a purgatorial period, I think, right now. And and please, God, it'll be a purifying period. Um, but there needs to be that repentance and then a resolution to, um, especially to the virtues. You know, to the virtues of of integrity and chastity, and um, and getting away from the kind of cultural mentalities or bureaucratic mentalities or administrative mentalities that would allow us to. Um, Allow allow churchmen uh, at all levels to um, to not have intervened.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I think the processes are important, but I think the spiritual renewal and the and the repentance is all the more important.
1: Yeah, I. Uh, so there's so much to process here, and one thing that's been on, um, like just been on my mind about this, besides just the sheer like horror of what has allegedly happened, um. Yeah. Is the impact that I, I so when the when the whole like spotlight scandals, if you will, just I think it's a good good term for that. I think that's uh, a great
2: term. I I'm going to use it a lot now. You
1: should. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're welcome. Uh, we call that the catching box. Catching boxes bump. bump. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, like it's pretty. It's like pretty easy to see a like sharp decline in um, in uh, uh, church attendance after that and it really and it kind of like stays the same after that but it really like it there was like a sharp drop and i don't know if that's going to happen with this with 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 like this instance because i think a lot of the people who would have who would have already left or sorry who like would leave they're already gone and I'm not saying that it's that this is an afterthought to people who don't go to church, but I do think it's oh well. Here's another um problem within with you know like with in the Catholic Church. Back to my avocado and and my toast. Um, what I'm really con- what I'm more concerned about, I think there that there could be some good to really come out of this is what this is going to do to. The institutional church, especially the people who, um, who like who uh, who work there, I think the, the 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 confidence that people have within the bureau, within the bureaucratic nature of the church, those who see how the sausage is like is made, I think this is what's I think this is going to cause a lot of pain and a lot of anger. And a lot of um, just like enough is enough. We need to make some big changes here.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I have talked to so many people who who work, lay people who work in the church, or priests, or deacons, or religious, who are just um, discouraged, but also angry. Uh, Also angry that they have said to me, you know, that they. Um, that they i've I've talked to bishops actually over the past couple of weeks too who have said similar things and have been hurt and angry that um that any of this could have taken place in the church potentially through some pretty serious negligence or mm-hmm. um, some pretty serious sort of personal failures that became systemic failures and um i i i hope i really i, I say I hope this will be a purgative period or or a period of renewal um, and I do, I, I really do, but I know that um, that, that will involve um, both some serious kind of cultural changes and a different perception of who the Church is and um, and then a lot of repentance. Mm-hmm. One thing I, I really do think is that, like, I, I was at Mass on Sunday and I was kind of like, um, I, at the beginning of Mass, I, for a while, I was kind of, I was mad. I was, I was mad. I just was, you know, mad. I'm mad about all this. And as, as a lot of people are, I'm mad about all of this because I've been, in part I'm mad about all this because before I was a journalist, I worked in dioceses dealing with abuse cases as a canon lawyer, and I kind of thought we were all on the same team about that. And it's, it's discouraging to discover that potentially yeah. people are, in a very serious and egregious way, are not been on that team. And, um, and it occurred to me what it means when people say, well, the church has no more moral authority as a consequence of this, or, you know, the church doesn't have any credibility as a consequence of this. Um, it does mean that um, any sort of presumptive authority in people's lives that, that church leaders have assumed, lay or clerical church leaders have assumed, you know, to say, the church says this, and pe- people to kind of say, okay, as a consequence of that, now has to transition into, like, genuinely proposing the gospel um, to people who um, not only have never heard it, it's not as if we're sort of going into the wilderness, uh, to people have never heard it, but to, in a context in which even many of the church's close collaborators are angry or suspect uh, suspect or suspicious and um and hopefully that if there were a recognition that we have to propose the gospel anew because we have n- because there's very very little credibility for the church, perhaps that would lead to a really serious kind of um, Evangelization—a really serious kind of new evangelization—and one that maybe would have shed. Maybe this is an opportunity to shed some of the some of the negative things about the kind of um, American cultural Catholicism, Kennedy Catholicism um, mm-hmm. motif that is, you know, has been problem has had many great things, but has been problematic in a lot of ways too.
0: Yeah, but that is—I totally agree. That is Catholicism in America. The the vast majority of Catholicism is in America is Bayes cultural Catholicism. It's people. I mean, like people who threaten to leave the church if this or that project doesn't get funded. You know, like I donated my money for this. You know, blah blah blah. I mean, like we have constantly in the church today. Um, like I hope that this is a wake up call for the church. Was two thousand two, two thousand three a wake up call for the church? In a lot of ways, it was in terms of. Like, you know, people would say a child is not safer in anywhere on the earth than in the Catholic church now because as a result of the charter and all these other things. Um, but the other – the thing that I can't – the thing that bothers me as a layperson is I am working day and night leaving my family so that the church can grow – so we can spread the kingdom, advance the gospel, bring in new members into the church. And I have to shield those people from the hierarchy. You know what I mean? Like, it's this problem where the beige Catholicism isn't, it's its like a lowest common denominator Catholicism. You know, like, just go to mass enough and everything will be fine. I think it's a, a deeper... Um, and I'm not saying, no, I mean, no one says that, but this, this experience of, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just constantly left wanting more out of a response than we are deeply saddened, hurt and troubled and we will do better. The church, the world demands more of us. We will do better. You know, like I, i I'm literally, I don't even know how to talk right now. I'm like, if this happened to my kids, like I would go nuts and I would beat, a, a priest, deacon, seminarian, or bishop who, who is protected by canon law from assault—you uh, know—like I would beat them within an inch of their life if they did that to my child. And then I fee- I hear these responses of, "We are deeply saddened and troubled at the recent allegations," and it's like, okay, okay. And then our priests, I think, get the worst deal because the bishops seemed like untouchable, and the priests seemed like all the attention was on them, and that's it.
2: Yeah, I, I have felt all those things. I think I think all of us are sort of going, especially those of us who work in the church. But everybody, right? I mean, I, and, and I know priests and deacons and bishops are too. I think all of us are kind of going through this and processing it. And I felt all those things too. I, um, I guess. Uh, one thing that I have been thinking about, you know, it, it has helped me in some ways is to think that uh, it, it, I'm not just, I, I have no interest, it's not my job to do um, sort of PR for the church or to do spin for the church, and I don't want to. Um, it has helped me to know that this is um, a problem about the corruption of man, a problem about yeah. sin, and not a uniquely ecclesial problem. You know, like if I joined up the Unitarians or if I had no religion but my kids played youth soccer or joined USA Gymnastics, they would be. Um, they would be similarly in danger from sin, sinful um, from, yeah. from the sexual sins of others. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I want the church to live up to um, uh, the promises which she preaches. And um, I, I want her to live the kind of holiness which she preaches. And so it's particularly galling, particularly jarring and difficult when she doesn't. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: my, my, my only other thing is uh, I was talking with someone today, a coworker here and we were, kind of talking about the abuse scandal. And I said, in my entire life, I never would have said I'm in favor of married clergy, but I am now. And it's not because I think married men are less prone to abuse than unmarried or celibate men. We know statistically that that doesn't bear itself out, right? We know that those who are chaste for their lives and those who are married They'll abuse, you know, Protestant clergy, all that stuff. People with power use the power to gratify the flesh. We know that. My whole thing is I want clergy in the age of dwindling vocations, right, where one pastor is routinely being assigned more than one parish, for them to have some sort of community. Because I'm watching these men get chewed up and ground into dust. I'm a priest. Holy Friendly, an excellent balance of both human virtue, supernatural virtue, moral, prayerful, all the things you would want. Have to uh, go on an indefinite sabbatical from the priesthood because from the day he was—he finished seminary and became a priest, he was given multiple parishes, had to fight, clo- you know, had to close one end, had to fight parishioners over it, all of this stuff and then he after years of being ground down he lashed out at someone in a, in a in a very terrible way which he acknowledges is a terrible way but he was di- he wasn't running on fumes the fumes were gone you know like and yet he still had to be be God's holy priest to his people and my whole thing is like holy crap but they go home to an empty rectory after working 10 12 14 hour days dealing with other people's drama day in and day out and their only release valve is what netflix like right you know and i at least i i deal with a lot like i've had encounters with people where it felt like i was in a confessional almost you know where they unburdened yeah, yeah. you know i've never told anyone this but i need to tell you you know and you hear these things and you pray for healing and you walk with these people and i remember one day in the middle of the day i just texted my wife Pray for me. I have to – I literally have to go into the bathroom and just bawl my eyes out. And she's like, oh, my God, what's wrong? And I said, just I'm dealing with like three people in a row that were sexual assault victims. You know, nothing having to do with the church, thank God. But like three people in a row. And one one was like, I've never told anyone this before. This happened when I was – like – You're just just loving them as much as possible, but I get to go home and, number one, love someone like my children positively, and I get to go home and be loved by my wife, and I have accountability. She knows what's going on in my life, whereas I fear some of these men because they are so burdened. And because the shortage yeah. is so dramatic, and because our laity now are, you know, maybe they're afraid of their clergy, aren't inviting them over as much, or forming as close relationships with them. That's a good point. That they're just alone, and they—you, this is what isolation does. It fosters addiction and depravity. Yeah, I, I don't know
2: if they need to get married to solve that, but they. No, I totally know that. I was just, yeah, no, no, I, I totally get it. But your your point is absolutely right, and they. I mean, there's a, there's an overall, like, a deep and profound crisis of friendship right now, and uh, especially a crisis of male friendship right now. And so for priests, that's all the more. And, um, yeah, you know, I'll just say from my experience working in the church as a canon lawyer and in church administration, many of the priests who fall sexually, who I have encountered fall sexually because they've had hit some crisis point in their life and entered into a depression, they feel lonely. Maybe they feel powerless or unattractive or... Impotent, and um, they begin to form some relationship that probably they know, kind of from the very beginning, is uh, is not a healthy one. But they begin begin to form some friendship, and they cross one boundary, and then another boundary, and another boundary, and then they've crossed a lot of boundaries. And actually, my experience with kind of in various settings with um, married people who have committed infidelities is, is similar. I mean, I think yeah. that's the way a lot of infidelities get started, but. You're right. The, the 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 mental health component of, of this, the um, the friendship and community com- component of this, and and the spiritual health component of this too. I, I didn't say it, and maybe that's the point. But um, a lot of times, when those you know who are in those situations have also um, their spiritual life has also um, begin to languish, and uh, and so all those things come together. And, and so, I mean, in my experience with priests who've fallen sexually, there, there are certainly there are certainly sort of people who act predatorily in in the clergy, and and that's you know that can't be denied. McCarrick, the allegations of McCarrick point directly to that. But there are many people who fall in a way that is much more uh, much more about um, the, the the disaster that has become their life and their kind of inability to figure out what to do with that.
0: Mm. Would would you say that those people? Nah, I mean because I guess you kind of answered it, but like like you can understand someone who doesn't serially do this stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that means they
2: shouldn't face the canonical consequences, right, because it, like, I I don't think that means they shouldn't face the canonical consequences because all of us have agency and we're all responsible for our behavior. But um, it does point, I think, to the fact that we, um, that, yeah, the Lone Ranger priests and, you know, um, the whole paradigm of, like, you know, parishes that are far away from each other with, uh, you know, a priest riding a circuit or suburban pastors who never talk to each other and all live in really nice rectories built for four guys all by themselves. It's It's not healthy.
1: Yeah. Um, do you think that, like, with, with that, th- um, th- the fallout from the McCarrick stuff could, like, could lead to, uh, the United States, I'm going to try to pronounce this c- correctly, the, unlike United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, is that right? Yeah. Um I've never really seen it spelled out that much. I'm always like, "What does um, do?" you think <laughs> what do these could- letters actually mean? Because the church <laughs> yeah. loves acronyms so deeply. I want to yeah. um, like. Do you think is this going to hurt them and the influence that they that they have?
2: Uh, let me answer that. But first, I was thinking about. Did you know that a few years ago, KFC dropped Kentucky Fried Chicken and is yeah. now just an acronym with no yeah. letters. So that's interesting. Maybe well, really, that. yeah.
0: Yeah, did huh. you know that? <laughs> did not know. Anyway. Conspiracy theory rumors swirled that it was because their chicken is so genetically altered that it's not really a chicken, but that's not true.
2: Yeah, so that was apropos of nothing, but I wanted to lighten it up a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, It's, uh-huh. it's a, uh, a release so, valve, if you will. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> that's You know what? That's what I use KFC for in my life most of the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Honey, why do you have two uh-huh. buckets of KFC?
2: I'm uh, feeling sad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the problem is I never have guess. two buckets. I have the, the vestige of two buckets that I ate in my car.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Scandals, honey. Scandals as far as the eye can see. <laughs> I'm going to go get a bread bowl, if you'll excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: uh, yeah, I'm just going to pour what's the, what's the greasy remnants at the bottom of this chicken bucket into that bread bowl. <laughs> um <laughs> Do I think the USCCB will have its influence diminished or lost as a consequence of this? Ross had said something pretty interesting in, in in a column that he wrote about this. He said um, <laughs> he said that um, you know the, perhaps there were people who were the media was paying less attention to this than they had paid in two thousand two, which um, or secular media was giving this slightly less attention than they were in two thousand two, or there was less of a secular reaction to this because the bishops had already lost their moral authority and significance in a broader yeah. in a broader mm-hmm. cultural yeah. context. So, in other words, like. Um, you know, no one was paying attention anyway. And um, and I, I don't know. It's hard for me to gauge that because I'm so, like, immersed in the ecclesial context that it's hard for me to know. Like, I mean, I almost, I'm always thinking about bishops. I'm often thinking about bishops because that's what I do for a living. Um, but um, with regard to the conference, I, I know that the conference has put out a statement saying that they won't want to be involved in, in an investigation, that there should be an investigation, they want to be involved in it, they want to be involved in in doing the things that are necessary for moving forward. And, um, you know, I don't know, I, I there are bishops who are, um, at this point, frustrated and um, calling for accountability of other bishops, and so that's, that's a rarity in the U.S. that bishops would be saying that other bishop should be in trouble for this, but that's happened, and there are bishops who have put out statements saying, you know, those kinds of things, the bishops who enabled this should be held accountable. Some people have talked about the possibility that the Pope will appoint a special investigator to come to the United States so Chile just had this massive sexual abuse scandal, as you guys probably know, that kind of came all came to a head in January, and it was just really complicated and, and, and not good. And so the Pope sent um, this Maltese Archbishop named Charles Chacluna, who's really, um, who's, who's regarded as sort of like the world's foremost expert on sexual abuse issues, uh, he sent him down to Chile. And actually, Chacluna got down to Chile and got like, I think he got sick, like he either had to have his gallbladder out or he got food poisoning. And so Ooh. like, the, his, his number two ended up having to do a lot of the work. But... Um uh, he he sent so to speak. Um he sent uh he sent that guy, da- you know, Shakluna down there and Shakluna came back with this big report and then that led to all these bishops in Chile being sacked and stuff. Um you
0: know, like thirty six, so like every active bishop submitted their resignation and like yeah, six every active or so bishop were, submitted their resignation. Yeah. Did they do it because they all were complicit? Is that what they were no, saying? I
2: don't know why they all submitted the resignation. I don't know if it was sort of like to make it easier for the pope to make whatever decision he wanted, or because they all truly felt penitent and they wanted the pope to be able to start over anew, and whatever he felt. I mean, I don't think it was an admission of like sort of universal complicity among the Chilean bishops, um, especially that's because what a lot it of the Chilean like. bishops, that, Yeah, it was, yeah it, that's it, the, the very did.
0: first thing I thought. I was like, oh my god, they're all guilty of cover-ups.
2: Well, a lot of the Chilean bishops had actually been complaining about the situation that led to that scandal, the appointment of this Bishop Juan Barros to to the Diocese of Acero. A lot of those bishops had complained to the Vatican about it and complained to the Nuncio about it serially. serially. It turns out that the Nuncio was probably giving—probably. I mean, the, the, what it looks like the most is that the Nuncio and one or two other senior bishops in Chile were giving the Pope very bad advice about this. Um, there's a question because the pope got a letter in 2015 from a victim of abuse, kind of spelling out a lot of this, and the pope still hasn't answered questions about whether he read that letter or what happened with it or or what. Um, so that's that's um that's a serious issue. That, yeah, that, like uh, when a I read
0: your your first article, um, the, it seemed to point that the bishop that the pope has, uh, we there are areas of culpability here because it seems that it reached his ears and he. Dismissed, dismissed it. blamed the victims or blamed leftists.
2: The Chilean thing. It seems very likely that it reached his ears or or his eyes because he got this letter. Yeah. Um, actually, it was it was Cardinal O'Malley who delivered this letter from a victim to the Pope, and so there are, there are real questions to be answered about what happened to the letter and the Pope. Yeah. And then and uh, but anyway, the, he did send the investigator, and that led to you know some. Significant institutional changes. So there's been a question about whether that would happen in the U.S. or not, whether there's anyone who has the stature to kind of look some of the really prominent American churchmen in the eye and ask them these difficult questions and to open up their books.
0: I only know of one but, uh, man, J.D. <laughs> Flynn. <laughs> look me in the eye, Bishop. Look me in look the me eye. Look me in
2: the eye, Excellency, and then go get your books. Uh, <laughs> I have a job already. and um, but Actually, no, now that you say it, I wouldn't turn that job down. Yeah, okay. Oh. Send a letter, nominate me. I'll do it.
0: Well, hey, I got uh, the Vatican sending me emails right now, so I'll I'll do that. <laughs> you know. Right back, JD yeah.
2: will take JD will do it. Yeah, they're literally <laughs> uh, sending me it.
0: emails because they're requesting <laughs> money so that I can use uh, uh, crucifides Laege in a document. But other than that, other than that,
2: <laughs> will you tell them that you will respect their intellectual property right. rights if I get the appointment as the as <laughs> uh, the Kenneth Star of this whole deal?
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> you
1: are my Kenneth kind of Star so <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh goodness gracious
1: um so, and yeah. like a practicing catholic like how how do you go about trying to cover this
2: how do as a journalist you mean
1: yeah yeah i mean as yeah and like just as a because like i mean like you are you are a guy of such of such like of such like deep faith so how to like what is like what is your approach to this
2: yeah i i guess thanks for asking um First of all, I really, really believe that um, that the truth is an ally of the gospel, and um, and that w- where the truth is, Jesus is, because he is the truth, right? So, um, so it's important for us to know the truth. We have gotten asked, you know, are you uh, at various times are you like sort of perpetuating scandal or yeah. or um, like making people lose their faith or things like that? But uh, I think part of the role, and Vatican II says this too in Inter part of the role of Catholic media is. Um, you know is is this is is to find the truth and to write about it and um and to help people understand the truth and to help the church understand the truth um the 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 church is made up of people all the way up to the top um and um and sometimes we need the accountability that comes from those things i think um my faith in 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 my faith in the church's claims about herself and um her self understanding I'm, I, I just feel blessed because it's never really been rooted in people. Um, it's been rooted in the fact... It, I mean, frankly, the reason I'm a Catholic instead of some other kind of Christian is because of some profound encounters that I had with the Eucharist at the beginning of my... Um, well, in, as a teenager. But... um but the priests who I had profound encounters with the Eucharist with, like the guys who who were confecting the Eucharist, and I was like really intrigued by it and moved by it, and the Holy Spirit was moving me. Some of those guys were like real jerks, so I I've never really, I've never really needed the people in in hierarchical offices in the church to be to be. I, I guess I've never had sort of expectations that they were more than you know believers who were ordained to do special, certain, incredibly powerful things, and that the Holy Spirit is protecting the church and those kinds of things. But um, but it is tough to know that what that the bandaid that we're pulling off right now is going to wound a lot of people and um, and, and not just I mean I'm us but we're playing a small part in what's happening now but the the aid that's coming off now is 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 you know inevitably wounding a lot of people and and a lot of good people are being hurt and there will be false accusations over the next couple of months I think it's possible they're already starting there will be false accusations and misunderstandings and and good people will will be caught in the crosshairs of this and in in bad ways that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And all that is really sad. But,
0: um, yeah, but when you rip I a bandaid think... off the body of Christ, uh, it's not like a few hairs get ripped up, it's thousands of yeah. souls get to- tossed out. And this is yeah. a, a mm-hmm. deadly, dangerous, and serious thing. That's mm-hmm. why I tell people when I do simple parish staff retreats, I tell them, how many of y'all have a, you know, don't raise your hands, but how many of y'all have a good, consistent prayer life if you don't start one today? Yeah. If you find in a month you have no desire to please quit your job because the last yeah. thing the church needs is church workers who aren't praying, right? Like, yeah. And you find, like you had said that earlier, people who get into these habits of isolation and depression and then they cross one boundary after another, um, you know, their prayer life is the first thing to go because that, that reminds them, in one sense, morally, that reminds them who they're called to be. And in another sense, it actually has the 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 power of divine grace to bring them into the other way and they don't want that at least not in this state and condition
2: it's incredible for me like gosh sometimes i wish i had a chapel in my house because um the power of just resting for a few minutes in 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 the presence of jesus at a time when you're tempted towards any kind any number of kinds of sin is is is, is unbelievable and so, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's obvious. You know, it's it's usually the case that something's broken in your prayer life, even if you're you're praying. Something's broken in your prayer life if your life if your life is so bifurcated that you're living this double life that you know some of these people are alleged to have been living. But I think we all just I think we all need to we need to pray. I mean, we need to trust in the Holy Spirit and His promises for the church, and um, and and know that it's you know <laughs> that the church is is a communion of the baptized and it's bigger than. Um, than some of these guys who have really done things that have abused their power in profound and discouraging ways. I don't know. I, I, I believe, I believe that, um, I believe that healing comes through, um, through truth and that freedom. I I know it just from my own experience, my own personal sense and my experience of my family, like freedom comes from, um, really getting to what's broken and, repenting for it and atoning for it and doing penance and, and finding a new way. So, that's what we have to do.
0: No, I'd rather just complain.
1: <laughs> uh, to Facebook! That, to man. Twitter! Yeah. All of us! On the double! <laughs> Come, let us worship uh, the
0: altar of self aggrandizement
1: Amen. Dude, um, thank you so much for just for like uh, just for taking the time out of, like, your work day it's just to come and to, uh, to come and to chat with us here tonight. Or, sorry. Yeah, well, the good thing about being a journalist today. Too, is you
2: do a media interview, you get accounted as work.
1: There you <laughs> go. See? Yeah. yeah. And we're uh, and we're the media. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, thanks,
2: thanks for doing this. Yeah, well, I mean, we're trying to reach the youth. There at catholicnewsagency.com or follow us at CNA Live, or on our Instagram, which is—I don't know what it is—but our Catholic News Agency Instagram. <laughs> I um, don't. Uh,
0: I don't know what it is, as the editor. Uh,
2: we have a, We don't. Have, we don't have a Finsta. We're just. We just have the one Instagram. But you know, you can follow us.
0: Hey, can, I, can I? Can I ask you one question? Yeah. Before you go, why is it that when I click your hyperlinked name as the byline for the article? It takes me to your da da da, da Google Plus page instead yeah, of all the uh, articles you've written?
2: Yeah. The answer is because um one of my projects is for us is uh one of my projects, and it's, it's a project that's bigger than me, one of a project that I'm working on with a team of people is uh is for uh, us to do a, a revamp of the site. We we have a Yo. good site in that it's a steady, beautiful, reliable workhorse and she's been working for us for a long time. But it's time for a new site. And um and uh, Google Plus used to be a thing that people had attached to their bylines and stories, and we still have it. Yeah. So um, pray for us that we'll have a great new website soon, and um, and uh, that's the reason.
0: <laughs> I literally clicked, okay. and I'm like, can't wait to find that article that he wrote originally a few weeks, like a week ago. No. And then I'm like, oh, oh it's a Google <laughs> Plus page that says he has five followers. And you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> right. I'm going to follow you right now. Boom. <laughs> Hello,
1: 2010. Good to see you. <laughs> right, right.
0: Um, Google Plus. Oh, you even have a Google Plus share link on the side. Oh, yeah. You are despised. Yeah, it's,
2: it's uh, not everything is what we would wish. It. Well, you guys both work at church. I mean, you know that we don't always have the things that we want because we don't always have the money that we want. But, nope. Uh, I work at the church. a we, can we,
0: we got it all, Yeah, baby. that's true. We even that's have a mobile true. app. And,
2: <laughs> uh, we have an app. We have an app. Uh, you can get it in the app store or wherever people with um, – uh, Smart information devices. Apps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other thing that I'll just say is, like, um, Benedict said, Benedict wrote, in 2009, Benedict wrote a very beautiful, or maybe 2010, Benedict wrote a very beautiful letter to um, the Catholics of Ireland in the midst of their sexual abuse scandal. And I would um, I would encourage people to read it because it's 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 really beautiful he has some great things to say. he really calls out he he has a section like that he writes to priests and you know clerics and religious who have abused children and he 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 really cuts them down hard and and calls them to repent and he calls parents to um you know to to courage in the midst of these difficult things but he says um i want to find the thing that i want to find um
0: to the Catholics of ireland twenty ten yeah
2: to the Catholics of Ireland. Um, he, he calls them back, like he writes this thing and he says, I know how I, I can't even imagine in some ways how hard this is and I'm I'm so sorry and he calls out the bishops for failing um and uh, to to address it and to resolve it and those kinds of things. But he says almost like kind of concretely recognizing the irony that um the church which is the thing which has been the source of harm is also the sacrament of salvation and um and I think that's the the paradox, but it's 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 true that this moment where people are angry at the church, the salve for that anger is to plunge more deeply into what, what who she is and what she offers. And Benedict says, yeah. uh, Benedict calls them to rediscover the roots of faith in Jesus Christ, and he says to drink deeply from the springs of living water that he offers you through his church, you know, even as he's writing to them about how much pain the church has caused. And I think, um, I, 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 I would hope that we would have the strength and the will to do that, um, because um, the church made up of sinners, so she is 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 the church that God has given us for the, uh, the mediation of grace in our lives
0: oh, beautiful. Put, just to let you know, I put all these articles in the show notes, um as many as I could find, including this uh letter from um Pope Benedict. I highlighted the part that we just talked about, so could uh,
2: I ask you a favor, yeah. Could you put my um, Google Plus account in your show notes? I'm, do it. Build that up. I'm hoping do it. for 10 followers by Christmas.
1: There
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay. go. J.D. Flynn, Google Plus. Uh, there's that's, nothing. Uh, it, uh, the best part, it says posts, and then right underneath it says, looks like you've reached the end.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yep. really it. Got it. That's in there. Yep. yep.
2: <laughs> Sweet.
0: Yes.
1: Cool. Awesome. Guys,
2: thanks for what you do.
0: Um, <laughs> we are the thank you, buddy. We are the healing balm of the church. Yeah. Balm a weird word. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It makes me feel cool when I say I'm de balm, but I mean balm. <laughs>
2: oh,
0: you get it. Well, wow. oh, does that it.
2: actually make you feel cool? No,
0: nothing does yeah, these okay. days. Yeah. That <laughs> for Fortnite? You know who's cool. <laughs> that, uh, that father Mike Smith. Woo.
1: Cool guy. He is. He's it's Fortnite. Fortnite. Yep, And his the, hair goes cool shaped sides, and long top. <laughs> I can mean, never man. have that. Actually, I don't
2: think I could pick Father Mike Schmitz out of a lineup. I'm going to have to Google him now. and see. Uh, if he, no, if you if can, he can he pick Father way. Mike Schmitz
0: out of a lineup, even if you've never seen him before. You're like, who is this glorious man? And whence does he come <laughs> rising like the dawn, like an army arrayed <laughs> in battlements, is his smile. At trumpets
2: call, <laughs> if you're a boy,
1: <laughs> Father <laughs> Mike Schmitz. He is got jubilee. I just gotta, <laughs> I just got a 2000 Jim, uh, Jim Cowan flashback there. Once again, we found the way to bring up Jim Cowan.
2: <laughs> man, I, I want I want to have a 2000 Jim Cowan CD. That's like,
0: that's all my jams.
1: Yep, yep. All right. Uh, so, all right. We got to end this stream, right? Yeah.
0: We got to end this stream, right? <laughs> All right, JD, why don't you hang up and then me and Luke will chit-chat a little bit after. Okay, thanks. Bye. All right, take care, man. Right, Thank right. you so much. Bye. <laughs>
1: That was good. Well, Luke, I feel even more broken. I know. I was like, I was, I was hoping to come out of there, and Now I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God.